Welcome to the very first episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, along with Brady Boyd, the senior pastor here at New Life Church. And before we get started today, Brady, I'm wondering if you could talk us through a little bit of your why. What is the big why behind the Essential Church podcast? Well, thank you, Andrew. It's good to be with you. Our desire is for one thing, and that's to have honest, sincere conversations about issues that are really important to the church. And we know that, that a lot of us are having these conversations with a group of friends. We're just wanting to expand our group of friends, quite honestly. We want to invite people into the very conversation conversations that we're having here at New Life Church, questions about theology, questions about the local church, leadership issues that we're all facing as pastors. I recognize uh, when I travel around the country that pastors are lonely, pastors are afraid, pastors feel disconnected from one another, pastors are longing to have very serious conversations with people that they can trust. And so our desire along the way is that maybe in the next few weeks and months that we earn some trust with people and start having some very good conversations with pastors that would be helpful to their congregations. And so we're really happy about being together with people in this podcast. We welcome you into this. Uh, Every week, we're going to try to put forth content that's helpful, uh, that's thoughtful. So here we go. Let's have some conversations about things that matter, essential conversations. Yes, and we've got a really fun and important conversation teed up for you today. And so, Brady, why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about today and introduce us to our guests? Yeah, well, first of all, we are honored to have Dr. Pete Sanchez with us today. He has been around the worship world in America for many, many years. He is on our staff here at New Life Church, oversees all of the worship world at New Life Church. So welcome, Dr. Pete. We're glad to have you today. Thanks so much. It's really good to be here. And we have with us... I'm going to say this sincerely. I believe the best local church worship pastor that I've ever been around, my friend John Egan. Now, he wouldn't say that about himself, but I, I know I'm biased, yeah, but we're so grateful <laughs> to have John Egan as a part of our New Life Worship team. Thank and you've you. been at the church 16 years? 16 years. Amazing. Yeah, a long time, longer than I've been here. Yeah, yeah really amazing. And John has, written, John has written songs that are sung all over the world, I Am Free, Strong God, uh, many, many songs, Overcome. These are songs that you're probably singing at your church. And and so we're going to have an honest conversation today about how we pick songs for the weekend services. And this is, surprisingly to me, a point of a lot of tension and frustration between senior pastors and the worship team. And this is, I know maybe the people sitting out in the congregation, uh, they don't feel the tension, but even this is also a point of great tension with Mm -hmm. uh, people in the church. I probably get, I don't know, one or two emails every week from people requesting songs or wondering why we sing certain songs or wanting a particular style of song to be sung. Um, And so this is a great conversation to have. And we, sitting at this table, are the ones who make these decisions at New Life about the songs that we sing. And so I want to dive into first about language, because obviously songs are words. I mean, and, and they're, they're melodies, they're, it's musical, but at the core of a song are the words that we're singing. And so how important, Dr. Pete and John, I'd like to hear from both of you, how much time and attention should we be giving to the theology of the songs that we're singing in church. Now, I know that may sound like an obvious answer, but it seems to me that a lot of church leaders are probably not paying attention to the theology of songs. And just how important is that? 
in my experience, I found that theology is one of those places that um, if you're in a modern church movement, it sometimes it feels like it's old school. But the reality is, is theology is this living reality that needs to be part of all of our song selection because it has to do with God himself. We gather for worship on Sunday to gather, to hear the word of the Lord, to be in the presence of God. And it's his word that ought to motivate us to sing. It's his word that brings salvation to us. When we write songs, when we choose songs, it all ought to point to him. It ought to come back to us in transforming power. And if we don't give attention to the substance of the words that we put in people's mouths, we're teaching them to sing something that's theology, but usually it's a bad theology or a deficient theology, a subculture kind of theology. So I know for myself, I'm always looking to see what are the lyrics saying? What am I putting in people's mouths? What will they be singing when they go home? What will they be remembering? What will they be teaching their children? So it's not just a Sunday morning service. You're actually teaching them habits, habits of the heart as well as habits of the voice. Mm -hmm. And so how many times do you sit down in front of, a, a let's say, some lyrics and actually look word by word at some of the songs? And I know you've told me before that you've actually changed I have. some words I have. to song. Can you give us an example of that or... Or give me a reason. Tell me, tell me something. One of John's songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was John Egan's songs. No. Uh, when you get into certain songs and they say something about God that's good but not good enough, uh -huh. that's where I draw the line. And the reason I know that is from my study, I realized that a lot of heresy came from good men trying to unpack God's good truth, and they said good things, but the church decided it wasn't quite good enough. And so what I see happening today is good songs, but because they've not crafted or really thought through or had some sort of uh, theological filter, it ends up being good but not quite good enough. So you, you end up giving people the kind of theology to sing that sounds good, maybe even feels good, but in the end isn't good. What do you think about this, John? When you when you're I mean, obviously you're a great songwriter, you are around other songwriters, uh, and how important is this to think through Trinitarian theology, just sound theology? I, I think that unless you're fighting about this, you're not thinking enough about it. I think that God has given us music is like the great emotional language for for our faith and our lives, and songs are like this giant billboard that we hold up to the world just to kind of describe who we are as the, the people of God. And so I, I don't think it should just be a personality thing to obsess about these things. I think it needs to be a fight, uh, a good fight. Uh, it's a worthy investment of your time to wrestle through these things and songs. And it's, it's the lyric of the songs. It's also the language of music and how are you even playing the music? I think there's so much care that should go into the whole thing from start to finish of how we're articulating song with our church because we are holding up a billboard in front of our own congregation to say, here's who we are and here's what we believe. And they're going out into the city and doing the same thing. Are we feeding them wrong ideas? More than ever, we have a million songs to choose from. And, uh, but I think you have to be careful because a lot of these songs are, you know, a bunch of truths, you know, strung together. Um, but we really try to find a song that in itself has a truth in it instead of a bunch of little truths strung together, which I think makes yep. me think of what you just said, Dr. Pete, about it's good, but it's not, maybe not good enough. Well, one of the things I've enjoyed about John's song is like, uh, you know, here in your presence, for example. When you write a song like that, you have to capture the right words because the beauty of that kind of song is that it actually draws you into the presence. So the words we sing really do matter. 
uh, the words we choose really do matter. And I think in this day when words are being dumbed down and when, when words are, are being said, that, you know, they really don't carry the meaning that they present, even when, you know, people are just not paying enough attention to history and language and grammar. In truth, worship leaders like you and songwriters like you, John, end up actually teaching people grammar. It's the grammar of Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's the language mm-hmm. of the faith. Yeah. We're a new race on planet Earth where it's something God has done through Christ. And we have this chance to, not only this billboard metaphor that you've used, but we, we also have a chance to actually teach them how to speak Christian, how to, how to sing Christian. So that so they can be Christian, so that our lives really matter. So the, the, this song question is a much bigger question yeah. than just you know, what do we like, what do we don't like. I mean that plays into it because there is this emotional component, but the reality is we're shaping a people. Well, both of you guys have written songs that are sung all over the world. Doctor Pete has written "I Exalt Thee," was written thirty years ago. That's still being sung today by congregations. What are some of the uh, if you were a lot of young songwriters are going to be listening to this podcast and yeah. they have a desire, a, a healthy ambition to write songs. Could you point them toward a couple of readings? I mean, I, I've always felt that the best songwriters are actually readers, people that read uh, serious uh, theological yeah. works that then shape their songwriting. So what were some of the defining works that you read or that maybe you're reading today that you would point young songwriters toward? Well, I can speak for myself. In the early days, it was and some of you may know this, but it's you wrote from the scripture. You just opened the Bible. The Bible. You just wrote from the Bible. <laughs> I mean, they're reading the yeah, Bible. I mean, we're reading of the Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have 150 Psalms uh, to choose from, and it it was easy for a writer like me looking for good content just to go there. Now it was King James. I'm glad there's other translations now. But the reality is, is that kind of language uh, really introduced me. You know, there is flow and there is, uh, there's all kinds of uh, crafting in the Psalms that you find. But I think the, the book that's really influenced me the most probably has been Augustine's Confessions. Because mm-hmm. uh, you, you go and you find 16, 1700 year old writers who didn't have all of the things that I'm surrounded with, no CDs, none of that kind of stuff. But they were, they talked to God in in ways that make me want to talk to God that way. And so I think Augustine's Confessions has been a big, big piece for me. Uh-huh. I think that's actually must reading for anyone that's serious about pastoral work. Mm-hmm. Yes. I just picked up a new translation of that, by the way, the, mm-hmm. some a fresh translation of his confessions. Yeah. It's amazing. I think it's beautiful. What, John, what would you suggest? Well, I think, you know, Dr. Pete mentioned, you know, the Psalms. You know, I, I think King David's probably kicking himself that CCLI didn't exist when he was <laughs> yeah. when he was writing yeah. his songs. You know, I he think, did pretty well, funny. Yeah, I he did think, okay. Yeah, he did okay. I think most of us will get to to heaven, and he'll talk to us about that. So you guys owe me a cut. You know, <laughs> um, be, yeah, I think the different translations, the the Passion translations, this newer. Yeah. It's been interesting to read that. It's poetry and. And I think, like I, I love you know. You talk about some of the, the the saints of old and Augustine and these guys, and or even not so old, but older. To, uh, to A. W. Tozer was such yeah. a, a radical. You know, I love reading these radicals. I love reading guys that you don't always agree with. So you have to kind of fight for what you believe. You know, and mm. challenge your own, you know, your own core beliefs and and see how you could write. But. So the reading is really important, and also I think it's just you have to just be involved with people in, in your church and because they'll say something in a sentence that they're dealing with that needs to be a song. Mm. You know, that needs there's a need in the church that needs to be put into songs so they can remember for their lives. And just real quick, Dr. Pete writing I Exalt Thee, the dream of a songwriter is a song outlasts you, a song outlasts your life, and that's going to happen with I Exalt Thee. So the dream is sitting here at the table with us, who, who, so I have 
huge respect for that. And that's, that's what I want. I want my songs to outlive my name. And uh, so... So well, you're, you're kind. You're very thank kind. You, thank you. Yeah. And Pete's not do I, that do, old. Do I, need, do I need to give you a cut? Uh, you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's true that language shapes culture, then it's true what you said a moment ago. I want you to expound on this, both of you. If it's true that our language shapes the culture, in other words, language shapes any culture, then it, it's also true that the language of our songs shape the culture of our church. Mm-hmm. And I, I know this as a preacher, someone who you know preaches sermons, people aren't going home uh, humming my sermon. They're going home <laughs> humming the songs yeah. that we sing. So I'm aware of that, that music has a, this, uh, uh, this uh, yeah. supernatural ability to, uh, to allow words to get embedded deeply within us quicker than almost any other spoken word. Songs have this ability to permeate us and to become a part of our language really, really quick. Uh, how does that happen? What what's going on there with people when they hear these words? What's really happening in that in that moment? I think music as a whole tends to mark us. I think uh, when I think of God, uh, I think of Him not only speaking words but singing words. Uh, if music comes from where I think it does, it comes from a creative God originally. Mm-hmm. Whatever we've discovered in music, He must have sung or spoken into creation. So. And his words have a transformational effect. They mark things. They change things. They create things. They call things into being that weren't before. And if that's true, and if we're stewards of that, and we receive his word into us, when we sing and when it stirs us and it marks us, and we begin to we begin to write these songs and sing these songs uh, as the people of God, we're being marked by the very, at least in my view, by the same very same spirit that rose, you know, that raised Christ from yeah. the dead. So I'm always mindful of the fact that it's more than music, it's more than lyrics, it is something that God spoke into existence that actually brings us into existence. It gives us new life, fresh life. We don't just sing what we believe, we sing ourselves into believing. Mm-hmm. We sing and it causes us to believe. Um, we do, that's worship. That's why I love worship and, and writing because it's just so radical. It's so... It's so out there to stand in a world that's broken and dark and to stand with a congregation of people who are dealing with very real things and to then declare the strength of God and to declare these incredible realities of heaven and to declare things that are and declare things that are coming and to stand in this kind of place. It's just so people think it's bizarre and it is. It's meant to be foolishly, bizarrely, prophetically powerful and is a gift from the Lord. So I think we have to, we can't just sing some ideas and how those ideas make us feel. We have to sing the ideas because then that will bring belief to others. All right, let's get super practical here. Uh, let's uh, let's imagine a senior pastor and a worship pastor listening to this podcast together, and they are selecting three or four or five songs for their weekend service coming up. Give us some parameters. Uh, I'm going to talk. I'll talk from my vantage point as a senior pastor. But mm-hmm. for you guys, what are you considering uh, practically? I mean, we have time constraints on the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a. You know, we don't have unlimited time. Yeah. You have to select songs based on the ability of your team. Correct. On the time constraints that you have, what should they be thinking about when they look at words of the songs? What What are the practical things you can speak to worship pastors right now? And John, you've been doing this for yeah. a long, long time. Yeah. So is Pete. But what do you think? about when you look at language? Uh, there's, there's a million things <laughs> that I think about. Um, I think the first thing, and I'm 
it's important to understand for a young worship leader that you have to submit to the house. I'm not going to go rogue and just sing what I want to sing when I want to sing it. I have to submit to you, senior pastor. I have to submit that to the team. I think that's important. I think that's how God works. I think there's something really significant about honoring that. So that's that's big. So are we in unity? You know, that's something that I I want to consider. I don't want to just guns a blazing into the into the into the war. You know, and I look around me and no one is with me. We're in this together. The other thing I think about is is the people. What are the people crying out for? You know, and our zip eight hundred nine two one here. Here we are. What is eight hundred nine two one saying? What are they needing? What's going on in the city? What's going on here? What songs sh- should be sung for that? And then language. What I'm thinking about is there's songs kind of about who God is, and there's songs kind of about what He's doing. There's songs of truth, and there's songs about how that truth affects us. Uh, I don't want to go too heavy on one of them. I want to have both. I want to have a good balance of both. So. So someone coming who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't believe, doesn't is coming and they say, I, I know every song they sang was about how something made them feel, but I still don't know what that something was. Um, the difference between good. vertical worship, yeah. songs to God about God, and songs about what God's doing among us, yeah. which is more of a horizontal song about how, what God's doing with us, around us, but... I think it's a good balance there. I like that balance when I, when you and I have yeah. talked over the years. The balance is let's sing up to God about God because yeah. that is the purest form of worship. Yeah. That's the so the worship that we see in the Book of Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the yes. Lord God Almighty. It's songs to God about God. So very vertical worship, but also uh, to invite people into that journey, you have to be somewhat horizontal. You have to sing songs about what God's done in me. It's a uh, like a testimony song, a prayerful song, a, a song of remembrance is what I say. This is what God's doing. This is what God did. I think that's a beautiful balance. Yeah, we introduce each other to new emotions as we respond to what God has done in our life. We had the person next to us going, I didn't look at it that way. I didn't see or feel or interpret that truth that way. Wow, that I needed that. That's you quote you quoted Ephesians right before the podcast began, but we're supposed to admonish one another. We, it's okay to do that, to teach and encourage one another through singing. Yes, the song becomes a form of mutual encouragement. Right, we share. absolutely. I'd like to take a step back uh, just out of the song specifically and think about a set list. Mm-hmm. How do you go about choosing that? I mean, are we talking about these are the five songs that are the most hot for me right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the karaoke? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or do you all have like yeah. a grid that you're thinking through? These are the kinds of songs that we need in corporate worship. We've been working on that exact thing, trying to figure out how do you select the best songs for this congregation at this time of their development because all congregations grow, they mature, they go through seasons of life, and we try to give attention to what season is the church presently in. So when you begin to select a song, you select those songs for that season to build that season. For us, at least uh, here recently, we've been giving a lot of attention to kind of the, you know, what's Brady preaching? What are we teaching? Right now we're in the book of Romans, so we're trying to give attention to those ancient powerful truths in the book of Romans. So we're looking at all our songs and we're running them through that grid, which helped that that eliminate some and then put some right on the table. The good news mm-hmm. is the book of Romans has inspired a lot of songs. Yeah, so it's no, it has. It, easy. has. It, yeah. it has. So Lucky so, I'm not preaching on Amos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so we start at least there. You know, obviously 
I, I know John well enough to know that he's the kind of guy that's always thinking about these things. He's writing. He's in the creative process. Writers write, so he's constantly writing, so he's constantly drawing on material. So he brings a lot of songs to the table. But for those of us that are on the other side of the table from John, we're thinking about the songs he's writing. We're thinking about the songs that other writers are writing, and we're trying to make the best fit for this church at this time that our people can sing together as the people of God and rejoice together. We're not trying to impress people. We're trying to gather people mm-hmm. so they can sing the yeah, praise of God. Yeah, let me give you one practical thing, because uh, for me, I have a deep conviction about leading off worship in a joyful way. I think it's important for us as leaders to express the joy of being together. And so practically, I, I like when, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a guy who encourages hype or unnecessary emotional things, you know, for the sake of hyping. But I think there's something powerful about opening up a worship set in a joyful way. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in. and go yeah. into his courts with praise. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, take it like, seriously. Yeah. We are we are really happy about being here. We're excited about the worship. We're excited about what's about to happen in this gathering of believers. Totally. And so to open it up with a sense of uh, expectancy, I like the two things that I like are joyful expectancy. Yeah. Yes. And those are the two words that uh, if I could describe the best opening song fits in that grid, a sense of joyful expectancy. And John's great about this, but we have some young worship pastors here that I've encouraged along the way say, listen, if you're not joyfully expectant yourself, Mm -hmm. then you can't expect... The congregation's about three or four steps behind us normally. Yes. And their uh, emotions and uh, where they are, a lot of them show up tired. Yeah, Yeah, It's our job to show up fresh and rested, but that's not true about our congregation, especially on the weekend. Most of them are showing up tired and discouraged. And so as a leader, we should show up rested and joyful and almost like a countercultural, showing them there's a different way to live here. Uh, the way I look at it is great worship, like an opening song should be disruptive. That's to, a great word. Mm-hmm. To the pattern that they came in with, which is attention on their kids getting checked in, attention on their job not going right, attention on yeah. bills, attention on stuff that's real, good call to worship or good worship set at in a congregational setting should disrupt that pattern. So all of a sudden the attention is jarred from all that and onto mm-hmm. something hopeful. One, one more practical thing. Uh, one of the things that we have tension around here that uh, sometimes is not conflict. Yeah, maybe a little conflict, <laughs> uh, but but in a good way, I think, uh, is who has final say over the song list. And this has been, I'm surprised by how often this comes up yeah. among local church leaders. I don't think it's happened here more than a dozen times, probably in 10 years, where I've said, we're not singing that song or stop that or I want this song. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like what John said earlier, it's, it's a dual role between senior pastors and worship pastors. Number one, it's my my role not to frustrate the prophetic creativity that I want in my worship pastor. I want That's John good. thinking and praying. I don't want John to be walking on eggshells about the song list every Sunday. I want him to have a sense of prophetic uh, uh, feeling about it. I want him to feel like the Lord has spoken to him and that he has the freedom to follow the Lord's leading. Mm -hmm. At the same time, John then gives back to me uh, the ability to say no from time to time. So it's it's a nice dual tension that John and I have as we prepare. 
John and I share Sunday. He and I have the most influence over the Sunday service because he is leading in worship. Yes. I'm leading in the studies of the scripture and the sacraments and all those things that happen. But together, we're sharing the responsibility of Sunday in a really profound way. Yeah, no doubt. And so if pastors and worship pastors are not having these kinds of conversations that we just had here on the podcast, I want to encourage you to do that. Absolutely. To make sure that it's clear uh, what's expected. I think the senior pastor should be really clear to his worship team, this is what I hope for, this is what I'm expecting, and I think worship pastors in turn should be very honest and super honest about what they're feeling and sensing. And as long as we're having these conversations, I think uh, you know we can have unity, which is That's when really the good. Holy Spirit That's tends really to good. move really best good. in Sunday. Really good. Thank you guys for being a part no, of this. This has been really helpful. Really Fun. So that's the end of the first part of our conversation around worship with John Egan and Dr. Pete Sanchez. We hope you'll join us next week for part two of that conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is always to strengthen and provoke the thinking of church and ministry leaders. So if you found this or any episode helpful to you, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. Your reviews help leaders just like you find our podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions on people or topics you'd like for us to cover, we would love to hear from you. So be sure to let us know via social media. And of course, um, please do share this and other episodes you find helpful around the web. Grace and peace be with you. Now, if this conversation hit home for you, we'd love for you to join us for the Essential Church Conference this September here in Colorado Springs, where we'll be talking in more depth about these and other important issues. You can register online at newlifeconference.com and use the promo code PODCAST.